All right, friends, welcome to Revival Town Podcast. I'm Chuck Tate. That's Andy King. Hey, mate. Great to see you again. Great to see you. Yeah, it's I know, all's good. I know we kept everyone hanging last week. We really did. I'm so grateful again to Lisa Shoulders for coming on Revival Town Podcast. It was so good. And she gave us so much time that we broke it into a two-part series. Yeah, I know we did this with uh, Dallas Jenkins from The Chosen Correct. Uh, just a few, uh, a month, of, or, well, it'll be about three months ago now. Yeah. But um, we thought, you know what, we'll do this this uh, as well because there was so much material. We didn't want it to just come out and people miss things. Yeah. And so... Uh, sit and soak. Oh, yeah. look at you, sit and soak. Sit and soak with your fizzy pup. Your, your fizzy drink. What's it called? <laughs> your fizzy juice. Yeah. All right. Now, if you missed part one, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Go to the end of go to the end of part one. Well, you enjoyed it so much, made, you yeah. kept it for I this week. I kept it. Yeah, I'm still you know well, still on the Vimto. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, um, it is uh, great to have you back, and we're going to jump right back into uh, the second part with Elisa Childers. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Way back when I was youth pastor and even back then, you know, if it's not the truth of the word of God, you're going to cherry pick what is and what isn't. Then really the whole thing isn't or the whole thing is. Right. But knowing what you believe is so critical to the whole thing. You, you know, not just pulling this out and, that, well, I'm going to believe in this. and But I don't know about this. Well, then you've, you're, on, you're, you're lukewarm, aren't you? God's going to spew you out. So, um, so I appreciate you go in there because i think there's been a lot of christians um pastors as well include like the the pastor you talked about that they either don't want to go there because they they now have got to really stand on the truth or this is rocking my faith and i need to get on my knees and ask god to really show me this thing that is is really coming against what i've believed all these years um, so I do appreciate you, especially for that generation that you, you've talked about. Chuck? Yeah, I was going to say, there's, I mean, obviously there are, there are even pastors that are dismantling and dismissing Scripture, but I also have a problem with the pastor that's silent, that refuses to say yeah. anything, that won't teach the truth of the Word. Um, you know, I think that that's just as much a problem, and that's probably one of the reasons why we're in the place that we are, even though... We know in the last days this is going to happen. I, you know, I had a I had a person came to me and and who had been a part of our church for for years and years, and has always struggled with his sexuality. And I've met with them, I've talked with them, I've prayed with them, all those things. And finally, he came to me and he just said, "Hey, um, just let you know, I'm leaving the church. I'm going to find a church that believes what I do." I'm like that's dangerous, but that's our culture. Yeah. It is our culture. I mean, and and if you think about, not to just keep harping on the nature of truth, but if you think about Romans 1, when Paul talks about 
everyone who's ever been born can look out into creation and actually have access to not just the knowledge that God exists, but we can actually know certain things about his divine attributes, Paul says, Mm. just by looking into the things he's made. And then when Paul talks about how people reject that, he doesn't say, well, they just sort of, you know, became intellectually convinced that wasn't true, so they sought something else. No, he says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And there's a moral core to the whole thing. And imagine uh, people describe leaving the church as feeling like this freedom. I can, I can understand that. You know, casting off moral restraint and getting to embrace the thing that, you know, you think you love, the sin in your life that you think you love. I'm sure that feels really freeing for a time because, you know, you don't have rules anymore. You don't have a moral uh, guardrail that you have to stay inside of. I get the feeling of the freedom, but it all, but see, if you, if you deny that objective truth exists and that, or that it, that it could be known, it's a ticket out of all of this stuff because it's your ticket to freedom. You can do what you want. You can live your truth. You can embrace your sin. You can, you can identify yourself any way that you want to. And um, I think that's the biggest problem that the church is going to be facing right now. And that really is this sort of vehicle that can lead to lots of different places called deconstruction. It can lead to progressive Christianity, like your friend who says, well, I'm going to find a church that believes like I do or that will affirm, you know, me in certain ways. Or it might lead people completely out. But um, deconstruction is really rooted in a rejection of absolute truth. I really believe it is. I believe so. So what would you, what would you say, um, or let me ask you a question. Do you, do you believe um, social justice without Jesus is a slippery slope? So I, I, the reason I'm pausing is because I want to be very careful how I answer this question. I actually don't think I, if you would have asked me that question three years ago, I would have said you have, you know, if you're going to do, yes, we should do social justice. We should do all that stuff. That's before I realized that the phrase social justice has a really specific definition that is trickled down from academia into culture. Social justice is not biblical because social justice is really built upon a Marxist ideology uh, that it's a different definition of justice than biblical justice. So social justice is the idea that an injustice is anything that's not an equal outcome. So that's an injustice according to social justice. So, Biblical justice actually starts with the nature and character of God. Anything that falls short of God's perfect nature and character is an injustice. And guess who's guilty of that? Everybody. We are all guilty of that. And that's even how we can look out into the world and observe injustices that are happening to other people. Uh, you know, violent crime, things like this, uh, slavery, great example of a, of a rightly identified injustice. Yeah. But to do social justice in our culture today means that you must advocate for any cause that is trying to level the playing field. Now, the reason that's dangerous is because they're going to use identity categories that the world has created that are not biblical and they're going to say any any difference is unjust. So for the gay person who can't get married, that's an injustice. So that's why the law was changed, because according to social justice, that needs to be righted. There's, you know, environmental social justice. 
there's all sorts of categories that ultimately pit people against each other as oppressed versus oppressor. So you got me started on a, on a big one. I'll try not to go too deep into it, but it's, um, it is the replacement of the gospel. So when people reject the real gospel, which is sin and repentance, and then of course there'll be good fruit in our lives if we're real Christians. Um, but if you're going to go down the social justice, uh, you know, path, you're going to, inevitably have to you're not going to be able to just do social justice when it comes to something like race it's going to bleed over into sexuality it's going to bleed over into gender roles um all the time i'm researching a book right now for deconstruction so this is really on my mind but um it's not you can't just have the social justice conversation about uh, in regard to race because if you have the ideology um you can't be a complementarian right you can't say that um as a christian there's a different role that women might have than men because that would be oppressive because that's an unequal outcome. That's why we see so often the view of compliment. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, complementarian, egalitarian, I think that's an in-house discussion among Christians. I'm not saying, you know, that if you're not a complementarian, you're, I'm just saying that the, the portrayal of complementarianism as oppressive is, is a problem. Mm. And that's coming from social justice. So yes, it's a slippery slope and it's a quick, I mean, it's one that accelerates really, really fast. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have, to, we have to be careful. I mean, it, it, we look at Genesis in the very beginning when the snake said, did God really say? And, he, you know, the, the first thing, he, he said something that God didn't say, and then he twisted it. And, of course, then she, Eve, desired and wanted it and bought, bought the lie. And, and then, of course, Adam followed along. And in, in Romans, Paul says, if we don't want to... If, if we know the word, we're not going to be deceived by lies that sound like truth. And right now on social media, there are a lot of lies that sound like, that sound good, but are false, right? That are truth. Jesus right. said that you're truly my disciple if you hold firm to my teachings. But we live in a culture that wants to dismiss his teachings. And what's so crazy to me is that people that will dismiss the word in their way out of it is saying, well, I'm just going to focus on what Jesus said. Well, this is what Jesus said, right? Yeah. So, so how, how can our listeners um, be careful when it comes to social media? Like, do you have any advice regarding social media? What, what, um, what one lesson should, can we learn from, from that? I go so many different directions on this right now. <laughs> um, I have a, you know, I mean, I have general concerns, but in the book, in the book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, I talk about social media being very similar to the Tower of Babel. Hmm. You know, the world had one language and Hmm. we're kind of there again. We have one language. We have access to information. And one of my concerns with social media, especially with a younger generation that don't have fully developed frontal lobes, is what I've observed among younger people with social media is that because there's so much information and because there's so many different people saying totally different things about the same subject, it creates a culture of agnosticism. And here's what I mean by that. Because there's so many different perspectives, it can have the effect on especially young people to where they would say, well, I can't really make up my own mind until I hear from this person. Well, then this person has a different opinion I need. And then it creates an environment where you can never land on what you believe about anything because right. there's always going to be another person with a different opinion. And so um, I think that that can be one of the dangers. Another danger I, I see a lot with Christian parents, um, I see this 
for, I see it everywhere, but it's especially popular in the progressive Christian, it seems like, social media where, you know, whatever kind of awkward or dumb thing your kid did at 12 years old, you, you put it on social media to make everybody laugh like it's funny. And you're going to get a laugh and you're going to get a bunch of likes, but your kid's also going to grow up and go back and be able to see all the stuff you've been writing about them. Mm. And that is something that I've tried to really navigate carefully. Uh, where if I do talk about my kids on social media, it's going to be something that I would be proud for them to go back and see that I said about them, something that would build them up, something that would, would be um, encouraging to them. And frankly, you know, I have one child that would rather not be mentioned, would not, doesn't want photos on social media. So I stopped posting photos and I deleted stuff and I want to respect the anonymity of my child because one day my child is going to grow up and I'm concerned that we're going to have a whole generation of kids that's going to go back and read all of their parents' social media uh, timelines and just be very hurt mm, and, and mm. very feel very betrayed. I mean, imagine your awkward phase, you know, wow. like the most horrifying time of your life if your parents were just live tweeting about it all the time. So parents, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do it yeah. for the laugh. Don't call your right. kids monsters. Don't uh, wow. say you know what I mean? You yeah. see, I see it all the time. Hashtag monsters or whatever. And it's like, man, the backlash is going to be epic. I that, think. that is so good. You know, I've kind of learned the hard way being a pastor and incorporating stories, things that happen throughout the week that I know will get a laugh or they fit with the message. But I've learned now over the years to get permission um, yes. from my kids. And, um, because in the past, I didn't ask for their permission. I just, I just went for it. And even my, my son, he's an incredible artist. He's 14. And I want to share everything that he sends me. But I don't. Yeah. And, he, and he asked me specifically, please don't post it. Like, there are certain times right. where he'll show me something or tell me something. Don't post that. Please don't post that. And I, I yeah. have to respect that. Or, yeah, I, or I, yeah, I lose that credibility. Right. With him. So I, I think that's such a good well, word. My, my kids I, are very different. I have one kid who's really like a ham. One kid just wants to be, can I be in a video with you? Can, can I tell everybody what I'm doing today? Yeah. And and then I have another one who wants complete privacy. So, yeah, I think we, yeah. we do have to take their cues on that. Yeah, and, it, and it's tough because as a parent, you want to be proud. And, right. you know, for me, with all three of, of my kids, uh, two are living in L.A. And then Joy is still at home. Um, and I often hear, Dad, don't post that. Don't post that. And I'm thinking, yeah, but it's a cool little picture. Or it's, and especially when, you know, my boys are both incredible musicians. And, you know, you, you want the world to see them playing at the church or, you know, all this stuff. And you're like, they're like, yeah, it's, it's okay, Dad. You don't need to do it every time, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to bring something out because this is, this is something that really drives me crazy. Um, there would be people that are a part or have been a part of the church or an organization and you have, you know, brought these young folks through, even had them on staff, even poured your life into them, really invested into them. I'm not on about my kids, I'm on about people, right? And Mm. then, you know, 10 years on, there's this post that comes out and it's blaming the church for everything. That's why mm. they've walked away. That's why they're deconstructing. That's why they're doing this, that, and the other. And you're like, 
yeah, but 10 years ago, you were on my couch, mm. ready to throw it in, your life, literally. And we mm. walked through it with you. And we were there in the darkest times when you you had issues going on with parents or issues going on with relationships. And it's as though they forget all of that because they now want this agenda that they've got and they want to blame someone for what's happened. Um, do you see that? And, and how do you try and address that, especially that individual? Because for me, I mean, I'm, you know, you catch me at the wrong day, at wrong time, you know, and I'm like, let me answer that on Facebook. You know what I mean? And I, I wouldn't, but it, you know, it's that, it's that for me, it's like, we were there in your darkest hour and now you're throwing it all away. How, how do you? Uh, wow. I mean, I can't fathom. Well, I can fathom because I have parents like with adult children that will come up to me night after night when I speak at conferences with tears in their eyes saying my adult children are deconstructing and they're blaming us. They say that we've raised them in a cult or we've done this. And these are, this, these are just wonderful. I'm not imperfect. I'm sure right, right, yeah, Christian right. parents where they're racking their brains to try to figure out what did we do that they're perceiving as so abusive or this or that. And one of the things that may help clarify this conversation is that, um, so I'm about to say something that's probably going to be a little unpopular. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not expecting that. I'll just say this for listeners. This is just my opinion. Okay. Um, but religious abuse is a real thing. It, it, I acknowledge it. I've done podcasts on it 100%. I have friends who have been through it. I've walked with people who have been horribly abused in their church situations. I'm not at all claiming that that's not real and that it doesn't exist. So, so put that as the first caveat. But one of the things I see in the deconstruction movement constantly is this claim of religious trauma. Then you get down a little bit further into what they mean by religious trauma, and they mean that they were taught that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and that's an abusive doctrine, and they were abused by being told that. So it's this sort of mixture of, well, I was told I can't live in the sin I want to live in. Or I went there and then hashtag religious trauma or hashtag spiritual abuse. And so there's a conflation. And what I think what really kind of angers me is that for the people who have walked through legitimate spiritual abuse, where they've been sexually assaulted by a pastor or verbally abused in an environment that, um, you know, they didn't know how to get out of or something. To claim that it just a core Christian doctrine is abusive to teach, it minimizes what they've been through right. and minimizes the real abuse that some people have been through, the kind that Jesus hates and wants to correct and expose and, and bring change to. Um, but if everything is religious trauma, then nothing is. And so I think that's one of the lies in the deconstruction movement that is so propagated over and over and over again. And that's just that if you just don't like something that was said, or taught, then you can claim that you've been abused and right. you you have trauma from it. Yeah. And that makes me crazy. <laughs> I know it's yeah. very frustrating. Yeah. It's a very very frustrating uh, world to navigate. The whole world of deconstruction. And like I said, I'm kind of like in it right now because I'm researching for a book for it. But um, it's 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 very depressing research yeah. because of that because it's very hard to define like was this an actual like i talked with someone who had deconstructed and some of the experiences she had as a young girl were, would break your break your guys hearts mm-hmm. and you can understand uh 
but then there's also some other stuff going on that right. you're like some okay, people kinda, use it as a just use the verbiage as a, as a crutch to live however they want do whatever they want yes. you know and um, yeah. i mean i know somebody who even and i uh, get i mean i get that chuck but the thing that i don't I, the, the thing that ticks me off is they want to live however they want to live but i'm gonna i'm gonna tear apart what helped me for 10 years yeah. during yeah, you, my youth you, you, you know you, even yeah, you invest in, yeah even yeah, yeah. to the point where you see some of these these posts where they're like you know well, i was at a, a service where they had me write what i wanted to um give to god uh, you know things that sin and we would burn it in the fire and and i'm going what's wrong with that like that's that's yeah. not abuse that is that is an, right. an actual action so that you'll remember about that fire pit night and do you see what i mean it's yeah, like yeah. it's like they've they've taken it to the there's nothing good that came out of the church nothing even if there was something kind of goofy that didn't really you know like like youth camp we did all kinds of goofy stuff that i look back on and go that was kind of dumb or whatever but abuse i mean that's the thing where it's it's like where is this all coming from but it but honestly i mean not to just harp on the social justice thing that's what it's all rooted in it's rooting back to those critical theories that are trickling down from academia through the vehicle of social justice and um um, it's eroding the church. It's eating the church up. In fact, there was a, I recommend this to all your listeners. There's on YouTube, there's a conversation between a Christian pastor and two atheists. And I think it's called the Trojan horse or something that's in there. It's mm. Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay are the atheists. And I don't know the pastor's name, but they're, they were all talking about these critical theories. And the atheist said, he, he said, I'm not a, I don't hate Christians, but if I did, I could destroy the church with one thing, and that's I would make all the pastors woke, and it would destroy itself from the inside. Mm. And this was about two or three years before we saw the rise of all this critical social justice, and I think he was very prophetic for an atheist on that. Man, no kidding. That's amazing. Wow. We're so grateful for your your time, Elisa, and we're going to ask you to pray in in a moment. But um, real quick, before you do, um, what is... Obviously, the book comes out October 18th. What do you hope readers take away from it? Well, what I hope they take away from it will be similar to the feedback I've gotten when I've given it as a talk. Now, I've expanded it in the book. There's more information in the book. But with another gospel, a lot of the feedback I got was that people were saying, man, thank you so much. I saw this, but I didn't know how to articulate it. Now I know what it's called. And and that's what I wanted for that book. But what's interesting is with this in material, I've had a lot of feedback of people coming to me saying, I was buying into all this stuff, these kind of these pretty little lies, these cultural lies, but I see it now and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to reject falsehood in my life and live by the truth. So I, I have found that the material has been persuasive for people. So that's really my hope is that if people feel fuzzy, if they feel confused about what Christianity is or what the truth is or how to live by truth, that they'll read that book and go, okay, I, I, I want to live not by lies. I want to live by the truth. So that's what I hope they'll take away from it is, is really something that could benefit their own lives and not just kind of give them language to see what's going on with other people i'm going to ask you a question and i don't and if you feel uncomfortable in answering this this is fine but i i I do want to get practical with this conversation because um i see it killing young people 
like literally young people that God had a, a path and a purpose for them and just these lies have got in. Who are some of those um, uh, who are some of those folks out there, authors or speakers that you would say you need to be careful of? Mm. Um, be, because you know mm. everyone knows the the Rob Bells, right? Everyone knows Rob Bell, and you know this because because he was the only, back then. There was a few others doing it, but he was the one who was doing a lot of stuff, right? But but like. You know, it's that whole wolf in sheep's clothing side of things. Who are some of those folks that we're like, Andy, these are some of the people we need to just be careful of. Yes. And, and if you don't feel so comfortable I, in answering that. No, I'm like, comfortable. Oh. I'm comfortable. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I just, <laughs> you're like, um, I have a list. <laughs> I can pull out my list for you right now. No, um, so I'm going to give you a few names, but what I want to comment on really quickly is that it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole. Remember that game whack-a-mole where the mole would pop up and you yeah. barely have time yeah. to get that head and another one pops up? That's kind of where we're at right now. Wow. On, between TikTok and Instagram and all the different social media apps, it's like whack-a-mole. You have somebody pop up, get hundreds of thousands of followers, followers, then they'll kind of go quiet and somebody else will become Mm. real popular for a for a minute and different demographics have different people that are just constantly spouting all this stuff. So um, just know that, that there are influential people in different pockets all over. Uh, I would say one of the main person in my view that is influencing deconstruction and progressive Christianity the most is Richard Rohr. I think Richard Rohr, if you're going to interact with progressive Christianity, you're going to have to interact with his ideas. He teaches extremely heretical ideas about the nature of Christ, about Christianity, about who God is, about the nature of reality. Um, I I would say, uh, in fact, if I could update another gospel, his book came out around the same time another gospel did, and it has taken off like wildfire. I would update my book with a whole chapter on his universal Christ theology, which is influencing everyone. So Mm. Richard Rohr is one, um, Glennon Doyle, Jen Hatmaker, Rachel Hollis. These are the people I'm kind of interacting with the most in my Live Your Truth and Other Lies book. Uh, People like Brené Brown, I think people Mm. need to be very careful with. Uh, There, there is, there's just so much falsehood out there. Um, still, the big names in progressive Christianity are going to be people like John Pavlovitz, Brian McLaren, Austin Channing Brown. Um, and I would actually uh, send your listeners to a, a podcast I did called uh, The Evangelical Deconstruction Project, because there are several authors that have more orthodox theology, but they're really drifting in some other areas. And it's just important to be aware of that stuff. So that would just be a few off the top sure. of my head. Love it. Sure. Thank you so well, thank much. You. Thank yeah. you. Sorry to put you on the spot then, but I just, I, you know we, what I mean? We could go and we could go a couple more hours. So, like, but you know what I mean? Wait, wait. So, yeah. Sometimes yeah. people are like, you, you know, because we're in a, an age where people absorb everything. Right. And so sometimes mm-hmm. it's good to know, well, we need to be careful of guys yeah. like this or gals like this. Yeah. And, and are, are you, Can I only make people in that context if they're completely leading people away from Christianity. Sure. You know, like there are Christian leaders that might say a few off things or I might disagree. I'm not going to name them like that. The people I've named, they're people that are leading you to hell. I mean, I hate to be so abrupt about it, but that's really the truth. Do you you ever get um, a, a chance to be able to interact with some of these folks? Uh, you know, so early in my t- 
time doing this. I did some public conversations with some, I did a public conversation with Lisa Gunger of the Gungers who has deconstructed. Um, I, I did a episode of the bad Christian podcast. I had a public conversation with John Steingard who had uh, deconstructed and left Christianity. I don't do a lot of that anymore because when I, if I'm going to have a debate, I like to really spend a lot of time prepping for that and making sure I can answer. And I just don't have the time right now, but in my actual life, I mean, I have progressive Christians in my friend group and family. So um, there's, you know, I have in my own life conversations all the time, Um, but uh, publicly I've just done a few. Sure. Sure. Okay. Sorry, Chuck. I know I put it in there. Sorry. No, no, it's all good. I know we could keep going and we, um, we would just want to be, we're so grateful for your time. So we don't want, we want to go ahead and pray and have, have ask you to pray if you're willing to do that. And for those that are listening right now that are struggling, they're on the fence and they don't want to be deceived by lies that truth and they don't know what to believe. And um, so we would love for you to yeah, do that. Well, let's pray. Yeah. Father, thank you so much for this time together with my brothers. I pray that this conversation would be beneficial to the people who hear that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each and every heart that ultimately people would walk away encouraged knowing that we can stand on the truth and maybe maybe be emboldened to stand up to maybe some of even the smaller little lies that they're interacting with in their jobs or at uh, home or even in their churches, Lord. There's people who are listening to this who you are calling to do some brave things. I don't know what those things are, but you do and they do. And I pray that uh, you would lead them to walk through the doors they need to walk through, even as scary as those seem, as intimidating as they seem. We know that we have uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do these things and to speak truth into situations where lies are being propagated. And I pray that you would just raise up a generation of young people that embrace truth. Lord, Jesus, you said you are the truth. When we embrace truth, we're embracing you. And as you said to Pilate, um, everybody who who listens to you is of the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people of the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, how can people connect with you? Uh, social media, website, what, how, how could they do yeah. that? Thank you. Well, everything's at alisachilders.com, but you can also look up the Elisa Childers podcast. I interview people with different expertise that relate to these topics. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that's gotten pretty popular or gained some followers in the last couple of years and uh, Instagram and Facebook at Elisa Childers. Great. You've done some stuff with John Cooper of Skillet, so we love that, too. Yes. Man, he's a strong voice right now. Love it. Love it. Well, we're grateful for your voice and your willingness to come on and and share that voice. Can't wait to dive into the new book and future projects. Well, the one last thing we always ask uh, our guests to do is the big three. Okay. Got nothing to do. There won't be as heavy a questions as perhaps what we've already (laughs) talked about, but... uh, (laughs) But uh, do you want me to start? Go, go ahead. Okay, so I lived in Nashville for a time. I was on staff at Cross Point Church uh, for a little time down there. And what I loved about Nashville was the food. Okay. Mm. So where are you taking us in Nashville for food? Mm. So this is, uh, you know, this is a big question because uh, most of my food, like uh, my husband knows I'm such a snob. I love to cook my own food. I make a lot of stuff. 
So if I'm going to go to a restaurant, it has to be something I don't either don't want to make for myself or can't make for myself as good. Okay. So there are there's a few places that I love. I love, love, love a place called Urban Market, which is not far from where Crosspoint yeah. is over there on Franklin Road. Right. Yep. Uh, it's called Urban Market and they do salads and stuff. I love that place. I love a barbecue place called Judge Beans. My husband and I go there. Uh, sometimes, and we have just this little local Mexican place mm. in uh, just right around the corner from where my daughter used to do her jujitsu there. And it's it's a Mexican place called Don Arturo's. We love it; it's our oh. fave. So if you're in Spring Hill, you know, and you go to Don Arturo's, I might be there. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so my question is: obviously, you were in Zoe Girl, and and um, you love music. So, who do you listen to right now? You know, this is going to be the most boring answer in the history of the world, but I really don't listen to a lot of music right now. I, I um, Every spare moment that I have, if I have time to do something like that, I'm going to be listening to lectures or podcasts or sure. Bible studies yeah. or stuff. Sure, so, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of boring. But, um, you know, once in a while, I'll I'll uh, pull out my Shane and Shane and I listen mm-hmm. to, in fact, their, their song, Oh, Praise the Name, I listen to almost every day when I was writing another gospel. So sometimes I'll revisit that, but I don't really listen to a lot of music. Oh, it's all, it's all right. good. That's cool. That's right. Okay, so here's, here's one. Um, what do you m- miss the most in not being in Zoe girl. I, I miss being with the girls. I met, we, um, you know, we just had such a, a special relationship and it's an experience that three of us shared that we'll always have. And just kind of going into each venue with the girls and we were kind of each other's stable, um, you know, stability because yeah. you're in such a, you're in a different place every day, different people. So you always have the experiences you have together and that gives you like a stability. So I do, I do miss that. I miss yeah. them. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you so much for being on thank Revival you. Town podcast today. I know uh, everyone that's listening are going to just love this conversation. And the thing that I love about it is it doesn't end here, right? I mean, they right. can uh, yeah. reach out to you, reach, you know, go on the YouTube channel, uh, really be able to dive deep with your books. Um, so and your I, podcast. And the podcast. So I, I do want to thank you for everything you, you produce. Uh, and we know it's not just a product. It's who you are. It's what you want to do as far as really portraying the truth of the Word of God. So thank you again for being on Revival Town Podcast. Oh, it was so fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. And we're back. You know, hands down, one of my top episodes, one of my favorite episodes since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your other ones? Other favorite episodes? Well, I'm going to start naming names and I'm going to leave people out. I'm going well, to feel bad, I know. I know. know but that's but, um, part of it. Um, Amy Grant was special. Yeah. Just because she's an icon and she was so kind and gracious. Yeah. And I was really impressed with how genuine she was. I remember that was one of the ones that you were nervous about. Yeah. Because it was early on. We'd only yeah. been going a few months. Right. I remember calling you and saying, hey, Amy has agreed to come on. And you were like, no way. Yeah. And uh, I, rem- I remember you being nervous and, and your wife, the, the story with your wife with the guitar and yes. all that. That was, yeah. Uh, make sure you're going back and checking that episode out. Uh, it was Christmas of 2020. 
Yep. Yeah. Christmas is 2020. And, we and did then it. we did a, a reboot of that with some new intros and outros for July. We did a Christmas in July where we replayed Last it. Last year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, that, so that. Yeah. That was that was, that was way, one. way up there uh, uh, on my list. And um, because I'm such a fan of The Chosen, I really was excited to talk with Dallas, the creator. And then, of course, with Lada Silva just a few weeks ago, who was one of the actresses on the show. So those are extra special yeah. just because I'm, I mean, I'm even rocking my chosen hat today. How about oh, that? Oh, man. Oh, right. man. You know, what? I've been so, talking to you and the camera's been just on me. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Why don't you show me a, show me a hat? Why don't you do okay. that? All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Populate heaven. There we go. So, so how about you? Um, for me, I... There's a few. I think the time with Leland was very special. It really was. Um, he is a genuine worship guy. Uh, Martin Smith, all the delirious guys, obviously. But yeah, Martin, Re Revival Town, for those of you who do not know, the name was inspired by a song from yeah. Delirious called Revival Town. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we've had all the, all the Revival Town guys, including the bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's next. He's next. I tell you. No, um, I think also um, Dave Jane. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's a close friend. So there was great chemistry with the three of us and we laughed for so the hard. whole hour. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a good one uh, that really jumped out. Clem Ferris at the beginning of, this, of the podcast way back was one of my favorite ones as well, talking about the prophetic and things like that. So... Hey, we're not stopping, Chuck. We're yeah, keeping yeah, yeah. going. Uh, we're we're over over ninety episodes now. Way into the nineties yeah, now. Yeah. We're heading close to hundred, yeah. and we have a, a coming soon. We have a a really big name person who's a mover and a shaker who's coming on. We've we actually pre-recorded it a while ago. Yeah, we have, and um, we're not telling you who it is yet. Yeah, but that was a. A, a really special episode. Yes, it I was. Thought. Yeah. Really, that's, really good. It's going to be coming in October, that one. In October, so, yeah. yeah so. It's been fun. Well, um, Chuck, it is... Um, we haven't done Tate and his mate. Well... Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, okay. <laughs> I was sitting here going, there's something not right. We, we have missed something. I don't know what it is. And then uh, I, I look down and I'm like... I'm like, we haven't done Tate and his mate. mate, which is where we um, we we throw an English word phrase at Mr. Chuck Tate, um, an English word that is not used over here, and uh, I'm going to use it in the sentence. Is, is that okay? If yeah. I if and then I, I, I have to guess the meaning. Yeah. So um, I, if we keep going, I'm going to need to go to the privy. If we keep going, you're going to have to go to the privy. Yeah. I'm going to say the bathroom. Yeah, it was a bit easy, wasn't it? Oh! The privy. Yeah, okay, yeah, it was easy. Sorry about that. To, to get the, the... The privy. Yeah, the privy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, so, it was uh, fun. But yeah, that was a quick one today because I, literally I was like, whoa, wait, quick. But yeah, you got to run to the privy? You're all right. Yeah, hey, I, I'm, I'm all good. But um, I tell you what, I had to run to the privy after our interview with, with Elisa as I had too much coffee, and man, as soon as that was over, whoo, I hit it. <laughs> it was a long, hit, long yeah, episode because yeah. we recorded it as one, as uh, one, and, and we we put it into two parts. And we're, again, we're so grateful for Elisa, her willingness to come on, and not just to come on, but to 
to give us time yeah, yeah. to unpack all that she did and to be willing to, to share what she did. So um, again, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes. So thank you for listening. All right. Well, we will see you next week. Make sure you're tuning in. Make sure you're telling people about Revival Town Podcast and see you next week. Bye. for listening to this episode of Revival Town Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, head on over to RevivalTownPodcast.com. Oh,